0: Good morning and welcome to our worship today at First Church. I'd like to welcome those here in person and I'd like to welcome those that are listening on the radio and those that are joining us on Facebook Live. Would you please uh, rise and join me in the call to worship taken from Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16? How can a person stay on the earth? priority. By living according to your word, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes. As one rejoices in great riches, I mediate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word.
1: 3. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take up shield and buckler. Arise and come to my aid. Brandish spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Jesus is our salvation. Fight for us, Lord. Sometimes we think it's those things outside of us, but Lord, sometimes our thoughts are the are the enemy that is closest to us, Lord. Fight our thoughts, Lord, that every thought will be yours. Empty us, Lord. Empty us. Apply the blood to our thoughts and our hearts that what seed we received, your love, your grace, is a seed we can sow into others, Lord. We were a wretch. We were lost. We were blind. But your blood has come and washed us white as snow.
2: Father God, we come to you humble in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you again for the opportunity to gather today in your church to worship together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for the Holy Spirit's presence this morning. We pray again for your blessings upon the ministries of this church. From our outreach ministry, our music ministry, to our children and adult ministries, please help us remember to always lean on you for direction and guidance. Father, we thank you for allowing us to live in this country, the U.S. of A. We thank you for all the freedoms you've blessed us with, And thank you for our forefathers who understood that these freedoms are from you and your son, Jesus Christ, as well as the truth of your word. As Jesus stated to the Jews in John 8, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But, Father, we have many in this country and the world that are trying their best to take away our freedoms. Father, forgive them, for they are blind to your truth. Father, give us all courage and boldness to speak your truth and stand up to these people and the evils that they portray. Help us all speak the truth about Jesus Christ and his free gift of salvation and eternal life. Father, we also ask that you continue to bless Pastor Joel and all the Christian pastors across this nation and the world. Give each of them the boldness and courage, as well as the wisdom and discernment to profess your word and the truth of the saving grace of Jesus. Father, as we mention each Sunday, there are many folks in this congregation, our community, surrounding communities, our country and across this world that are hurting going through difficulties, and require healing and comforting. Being the omniscient God that you are, only you know the exact need of each of these people. We pray for them and ask that you provide for their needs. Lord, help us not take for granted what you did for each one of us when you sent your Son to the cross to die for our sins and shed his blood. As you teach us in Romans 10, If we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Help us not forget the importance of this event and that our belief and faith in him is the only way to heaven and eternal life. We thank you for this truth, and we pray this in all things in his name as we join together in the prayer that he taught us to pray, saying,
3: Carolyn Ford and our Children for Children's Chat.
4: Over, over, over. go oh, I'm going to sit down. Watch your tight hands. What do I have this morning? Huh? What is this? Floaties. Well, you put floaties on your arm. If you're on a boat, what do you have to wear on a boat? A lifesaver, life jacket. And some big boats have great big life savers that they throw out. If you fall on the water, they go, vroomf, and you hang on to it, and it's got ropes on it, and it pulls you in. So it saves that person's life. Oh, yeah? You play with these in the pool? You ever get scared in the water sometimes? No? no? You're brave? Yeah. Really, really brave? Here, you want to hold this for me? Thank you. And you want to hold this one for me? Yeah. Well, you know, if I had all kinds of money, I would have brought each and every one of you one. But I have different lifesavers for you that Mrs. Dillon has down there after we're done. Who's our best lifesaver? Jesus Jesus is. That's right. God sent him because he loved us so much. And Jesus is our lifesaver. God sent him to earth, to save us. And what is he saving us from? Save. Some sin. That's right. And how did he save us from sin? He died on the cross for us. So we can be forgiven and have eternal life with God. Jesus is like the best life saver we could have. All we have to do is believe in our hearts that he is the son of God and accept him as our life saver. We'll still have storms in our lives, won't we? There'll be rough seas and we'll want to grab a lifesaver and our lifesaver we reach for should be Jesus. Jesus is our lifesaver. We will have our lifesaver whenever we need it. We don't have to go looking for it because he's always there, right? He's your own personal lifesaver. So you think about that when you're in the pool and stuff like that, who your lifesaver is, and make sure you wear your floaties, okay? All right, let's say a quick prayer. Dear God, we know that you sent Jesus to die on the cross to save us. We pray that each and everyone here today will take a hold of the one who can save them, Jesus, our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's see Mrs. Dillon there, and you can keep that.
3: Amen. Thanks, Carolyn. And you guys can head back to your seats, and don't forget to grab one of your lifesavers on the way back. Our offering this morning goes to support the Kusel Mission Church in Kusel, Germany. Uh, Many of you were here earlier this year when Pastor Michael and his wife were able to join us for worship, and we are really grateful that we're able to continue to support them uh, through the offering this morning. So I encourage you to give as you feel led to give today, and as the deacons come forward to collect our offering, we're going to be singing out of the hymnal this morning, number 402, The Solid Rock. We're going to sing verses 1, 3, and 4 together. So again, I encourage you to give as you feel led to give this morning, as our deacons collect our offering for us today. Amen.
5: If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 1, it is on page 536. We'll be reading from Psalm 1 today. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. And whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. You may be seated.
3: Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we are so grateful, so grateful for your word that we get to hear and study this morning. And I pray that as we do so, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move in this place, that you would soften the hearts and minds of all of us, Lord, that we may receive what you have in store for us today. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Before we jump right into the text, I just want to take a moment and say uh, thank you to you as a church, as well as Pastor Tory, for allowing me to have the Sunday off this past week. Uh, my, fam- at, my dad and I ended up in Minnesota attending the conference uh, for the Four Seas. I uh, got to see a lot of uh, uh, drive through the, the, the countryside, and it was a beautiful drive up there. We also got to see a couple baseball games. One of my lifetime goals is to try to see as many baseball games and different major league stadiums as I could. So we got to knock a couple of those off as well. So really grateful for the opportunity to to be away for a Sunday and know that you guys are in good hands. Uh, I actually got to listen to Pastor Tory Priest, got to listen to the whole service as we were driving through Wisconsin on Sunday morning. And so uh, really grateful for that. And thank you, Tori, for sharing what you did last week. Earlier this summer, uh, my family and I were down in Columbus, just took the day to, to get away and, and do some fun things. And we were eating lunch at, um, I don't even remember what town, what part of Columbus we were in at the moment, but we were eating lunch, and, and just down the street from there was the Barnes and Noble, and I want to take every opportunity I can to go check out a bookstore. I just love to go around and peruse the aisles and see what's there, and, and so I convinced Allie and the kids to go with me and, and take a few minutes to look around the bookstore, and one of the interesting things about bookstores, right, you go and you check it out and there's all these different sections of books. There's sections for fiction and nonfiction. There's sections for sci-fi and fantasy as well as poetry and religion and how-to books. And each section, right, has a specific kind of book in it. And when you read, when you go to the section to pick up a book, you have certain expectations of what that book is going to be like and how to read that book well. One of my favorite authors, as you know, one of my favorite books is is, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. Today I brought with me my very well-used old copy of the first book in the series, The Fellowship of the Ring. You can see I've read it a few times over the years. Now if I were to go into Barnes & Noble and pick this up off the shelf, and and if I were to start reading the story of Frodo the Hobbit and Gandalf the Wizard and Legolas the Elf as if it were a true non-fiction account, I'd be a little confused, wouldn't I? Right? If, I, if I believe that their story of going to try to destroy the One Ring and the Fires of Mount Doom actually happened at some point in history, I'd be reading the book very, very wrong. Right? The same is true for other, uh, other genres that you might find in a bookstore. It would be very wrong to read a, a biography as if it were fiction, and it would be wrong to read a how-to manual as if it were a work of poetry. The kind of literature, the the genre of the literature does matter, and it helps us understand how to read, or how to understand and apply what we're reading. Now, the reason I bring that up today is because in our Old Testament portion of our reading plan, we have moved from mostly historical narrative, so far, into the Psalms, uh, which is poetry. So far, we've been Even in the New Testament, the Gospels and Acts, most of the time we've spent in the Word has been studying historical narrative. Historical narrative has characters and plot, conflict and resolution, and there's a there's a uh, series of events that you can follow from creation all the way through the downfall of the Northern and Southern Kingdoms of Israel. But poetry is different, isn't it? Poetry is is not so much about characters and plot, conflict and resolution. It's about metaphors and comparisons. Poetry is the language of of songs and prayers. It's the language of the heart. So as we move into a new section of the Old Testament, it's important that we think about what we're reading and how we're reading it. As we read the Psalms, these are poems, these are prayers, these are songs that have been part of the worship of God's people for generations upon generations. God's people from... Before the time of Jesus, we're using the Psalms as a regular part that they often gathered around as they were worshiping both individually within their families as well as corporate worship. And we continue that tradition today because most Sundays we use a selection from the Psalms as they call the worship, as the text that, that invites us into the space and time where we worship God together. And the early church also recognized just how important those psalms were. Did you know that of all the Old Testament books, none of them are quoted in the New Testament as often as the psalms? The psalms is quoted more than Isaiah, more than Deuteronomy, more than Genesis. It's the psalms that God's people, the early church, studied and proclaimed. And when they read the psalms, it wasn't just songs and prayers. They realized that the Psalms, like the rest of Scripture, pointed to Jesus. And so, as we turn to the Psalms this morning, as we look at Psalm 1, we also have to understand that Psalm 1 kind of sets the stage for the rest of the Psalter. There's 150 Psalms in our Old Testament, and Psalm 1, as well as Psalm 2, kind of set the stage for how we are supposed to approach them and how we're supposed to study them together. And so, Psalm 1 talks. The focus of Psalm 1 is about meditating on God's Word, about studying it, about letting it soak into our lives. And that, therefore, then, is how we should approach the rest of the Psalms and really God's Word as a whole. God's Word is powerful. It has the the power to transform us from the inside out. And Psalm 1 gives us a glimpse into what that looks like or what it can look like in our, in our daily lives. And so we're going to talk about how meditating on God's Word is transformative. And so first we need to talk about what meditation, what Christian biblical meditation looks like, and then we'll talk about the impact that it can have on our lives. First of all, when we talk about meditation, most often the, the picture that comes to mind is, an, is some sort of like Eastern religion, right? A monk sitting out, emptying his mind, you know, sitting crisscross applesauce on the ground, right? With his hands off to the side. But when scripture talks about meditating on God's word, it's not not an emptying of oneself. It's not a lack of thought. Meditation from a scriptural perspective is actually to think deeply, to think profoundly about God and his word, about who God is and how he has made himself known to us. It's not thinking less. In fact, it's thinking more about God's Word. And so as we look at Psalm 1, verse 2, it reminds us to delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on His law day and night. And so we are called to, to delight in His Word, but also to meditate on it day and night. So meditation is a regular rhythm of reading and studying God's Word. And there's two ways that I want us to think about it because there's two extremes that we can, two, two sides of the road that we can easily fall off on if we're not careful. And so meditation certainly involves engaging our mind in the study of God's Word. Right? God gave us a brain, and so we should use it as we study his word, right? So we read it carefully. We, we think about what it's saying. We, we study the words, and if there's words that we don't understand, we look them up in a dictionary so we can understand it better. There's so many tools and resources out there that can help us understand God's word at a deeper level. And, and I don't want to get into all the weeds that can go there, but, but here's a couple things I want to encourage you with. Something that everybody can do. One is to have a Bible translation that is easy to understand, right? Sometimes we read God's Word and we're reading in a translation that just doesn't click for us, right? Some of you grew up reading the King James Version, right? And for some of you, that is that makes sense. It's easy. It, it, it's what's familiar to you. But for some of you, you may have been reading the King James your whole life and you read a passage and you think, what in the world did that just say, Right? There are lots of very good English translations out there. Some of them are, are maybe put into more modern English or easier to read. Some of them are, are similar to the King James that are more wooden and, and structured that way. But whatever, pre, whatever preference you have, whatever translation you read, you should have one that you can easily understand and that you can read without being too, uh, too confused about it. The other tool that's extremely helpful is to have a study Bible. Right? So, so many of you have study Bibles. You have the, the Word of God, and then within the Bible itself, there are study notes. There's introductions to books of the Bible. There's cross-references that point you to other passages of Scripture that are helpful. And so as you're reading God's Word, sometimes you may read it, and maybe the, the words are easy enough to understand, but you don't know how it fits into the rest of Scripture, the story of, of Jesus in God's Word. And so you can read a passage like Psalm 1 and within a study Bible, it'll have references to other passages of Scripture that you can turn to and read that will help you understand what God's Word is saying. It's important to remember that Scripture helps us to interpret and understand Scripture. So if one part of Scripture is confusing to you, there may be another part that helps to clarify it so that you may understand it better. So meditating on God's Word is, is reading it with our minds engaged to know and understand it. But if that's all we do, we're still missing something, aren't we? Pastor Tory talked last week about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, right? And one of the main points she made was that, that it's not enough just to know the Word, right? It's not enough to just know it on an intellectual level, but we must ask for and seek the Holy Spirit's guidance and wisdom as we study His Word. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to help us move from an intellectual understanding of the Word to being able to apply it to our own lives. And so as we study the Word, it's not just a mental exercise, it's a spiritual exercise as well. We engage the Holy Spirit. We ask Him to to help us understand and apply and also even remember God's Word. And so it's important that that we do so. When we study God's Word, when we meditate on it, we do so prayerfully, seeking the Holy Spirit's wisdom and guidance as we do it. And the last thing I'll say about meditation before we move on to the, to the benefits of meditating in God's Word is that meditation is something that's meant to be a regular rhythm, a regular practice that we engage in. So when we study God's Word, it's, it's not going to be very helpful if we just pick it up, we read a few verses, and we set it aside, and then we don't pick up our Bible again for another week or two, right? Little doses, now I'm not saying something good can't come out of that, but Little Doses isn't meditating on God's Word. Meditating on God's Word is a regular rhythm of reading it, of, of contemplating it, of prayerfully seeking God's wisdom and how to apply it to our lives. And so it really should be an everyday thing. It says that we, that we meditate on His law day and night. Unfortunately, for for many of us, the only time we open God's Word is on Sunday mornings when the scripture is read for us during the service. And if that's, you know, if you're here regularly, that is part of that regular rhythm of studying God's Word and meditating on it. But there should be time between Sundays when we're opening God's Word and we're studying it. And so it's a part of a regular rhythm. I think that's one reason why this Bible in a Year reading plan has been so helpful to me personally. It's given me that, that structure of, of studying God's Word every day and in a, a plan to accomplish it. And so I hope it's been a benefit for you, and I hope you have been able to follow along and read with us. And even if you've missed some days or fallen behind, it's never too late to catch up. Or if it's never too late to start, just pick up at Psalm 1 and, and start from there. Because a regular appetite, a regular... And transformative. And so Psalm 1 then sets the stage for the rest of the Psalter, but also gives us an approach of how we should study God's Word regularly. And so there's three things here that Psalm 1 says uh, three ways that the Word transforms us. And the first thing we see is in verse 1 and that it's that the Word of God has the power to, trans- to make us holy. The Word of God has the power to make us holy. The psalm begins, and I'm just going to read again verse 1 if you'd like to follow along with me. It said, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. There's a a message here in, in the way that the psalm contrasts the person who does not meditate and delight in God's Word. They're described as as people who associate with the wicked, with sinners, with mockers. And notice the progression that takes place in this verse. It goes on and on. It gets, it gets it to be a closer and closer association with sinful and wicked people. It starts with walking and then goes on to standing and eventually sitting in the company of mockers. As we stay away from God's Word, as we avoid it and don't take the time to delight and meditate on it, it has a negative impact on our lives. We are more susceptible to sinful behavior. We're more susceptible to begin living like the rest of the world. And the more time we stay away from the Word, the more time we avoid the, the guidance and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, the more our lives are going to begin to reflect the world rather than the Word. And so God's Word has the power to make us holy. It has the power to enable us and equip us to live lives that are honoring and pleasing to the Lord. And so the more we meditate on the Word, the more we're going to be able to do that. And that brings us back to our call to worship this morning from Psalm 119, verse 11 says, I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Right? As we meditate on God's Word, it's like we're hiding it in our heart. We allow it to become a part of who we are. And so when we do that, when we're in God's Word on a regular basis, it has the power to to transform us. It has the power to help us to avoid sinful, ungodly behavior. It has the power to, to transform us from the inside out so that we may be more and more like Christ. And as we do that we must remember the difference between conviction and condemnation. Right? As we read and study God's word, yes, there are going to be times when we are convicted about what it says. We're going to read something in scripture and it's going to be very clear that what God's standard is, we are falling short of it. Right? I am not perfect. I do not live up to God's word all the time. There's going to be moments and times when I read something and I realize, wow, I am that I need to, I need to change something or I need to fix something, right? That is the Holy Spirit convicting me to be more like Christ. That's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. We we should we should conviction moves us closer and closer to God. It helps us to see where we're falling short so that we may fix it, turn away from it and turn towards him. Condemnation on the other hand is from the enemy. And I know maybe I'm splitting hairs here with my definitions between conviction and condemnation, but hear me out. When we feel condemned, we feel like we're no good, that we've messed up, that we failed, and that we are hopeless, that we have messed up way too many times for God to possibly forgive us. And so condemnation turns us away from God. It turns us in upon ourselves. It it isolates us, and, and it makes us feel like we are unloved and unwanted and that we, are, we have no hope. Condemnation is not from the Holy Spirit. Condemnation is not from the Lord. That is from the enemy, because he is trying to keep us down. He is trying to, to get us to, to stay away from the Lord. And so condemnation encourages us to move away from the Lord, but conviction, which is from the Holy Spirit, brings us closer to God. Scripture teaches us that there is no longer any condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, that we have been saved and that we have been forgiven. And when we feel that conviction, that nudge, that pull, it is, it is God's love for us drawing us closer to himself so that we may be more and more like him. So the first thing we see is that the, God, the Word of God has the power to make us holy. The second thing I want to point out to you today is that the Word of God has the power has, is the power to make us spiritually fruitful. Verse 3 says, That person, again, the one who meditates on the Word of God, is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Right? The image that, the metaphor that the psalmist used here is is the image of a tree planted by a stream of water. Now I mentioned earlier that we made a trip up to um, Minnesota this past week. And as we were driving through Wisconsin, Minnesota, we passed a lot of farms. And I mean big farms up there. And it was beautiful to, to see that. And one of the things my dad and I noticed as we were driving along is, is these large, um, and I don't even know what to call them. I probably should have somebody, but giant sprinklers, right, that were out in the field to water the crops. I mean, these things were massive. And, and some of them were just sitting still, but many of them that we passed were, were spraying water all over these fields to water the crops. You see, they needed that water in order to grow and produce the fruit that the farmers were hoping to harvest at the end of the season. But a tree that's planted by streams of water doesn't need any sort of artificial irrigation because it's planted right there at the source. Its roots go down in the ground. is able to draw in the water from the stream without any need of a large sprinkler, right? That is the image of a person who delights in and meditates on the Word of God. They are a tree planted firmly by the source of living water. There's no need for anything artificial. There's no need for anything additional than that. When they're connected to the source, they have everything that they need and they're able to then bear spiritual fruit. What is that spiritual fruit, you may ask? Right? You see it in the way that we live our lives, in the way that a Christian lives their life. And it comes through in three ways that I want to encourage you to think about. Spiritual fruit shows up in our character, our conduct, and our connection to God. So spiritual fruit, probably the most obvious example of that is the, the fruit of the Spirit described in Galatians 5. A person who is firmly planted in the Word of God, connected to that source of living water, is going to be more peaceful. Think about the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The person who is planted by that source of living water is going to see more of that fruit in their lives. Their lives are going to begin to reflect the fruit of the Spirit more and more. So their character will change to be more like Christ. Second, our conduct will change as well. Not just our character, but but the way that we live our lives. The things that we choose to do are going to be transformed as well. James reminds us that faith without works is dead. So as we grow in our faith, as we learn to love God more and serve him in this world, then the way that we live, our actions are going to change as well. We're going to begin to care about the things that God cared about. We're We're going to help those who are in need. We're going to be kind to our neighbor and our coworker, right? Our lives, our actions are going to more and more line up with the way that Jesus lived in this world. Relationship with him. The more we are rooted in and connected to that source of living water, the, the deeper our relationship with God is going to be. We're going to learn not just to know him better, but to love him more, right? And we can't really love God if we don't know him, right? That's why we need his word. God gave us his word so that we can know him, so that we can know what he's like and, the, and what he cares about in this world and, and what he's up to. And so the more we know his word, the better our relationship with him is going to be. Like any human relationship, the more time we spend with God, the more time we invest in him, the better and deeper and more mature that relationship is will become. Verse 3 says, the, the tree planted by the stream of water yields its fruit in season and the leaf does not wither. We go through difficult times in life, don't we? We go through seasons of, of worry, of stress, of anxiety, of hardships. But when you're planted by that source of living water, that spiritual fruit will continue to grow, will continue to um, to be produced in your life, even through those difficult seasons. There's going to be times in your life where you feel like God is far away. And the Psalms are a testimony to that. You're going to read some Psalms, and maybe you're familiar with some of them already, that, that describe God as being distant and far off. But when you're planted by that source of living water, you know in your heart that God is near. That even if He feels distant, you can hold on to the promises hold on to the truth of Scripture, even when he feels distant. So God's Word has the power to make us holy. It has the power to make us spiritually fruitful. And finally, it has the power to make us stand firm. Again, this goes along very well with what Pastor Tori has been preaching on through her study on the armor of God. But as we, as we dwell in, in the Word of God, as we study it and meditate on it, and we ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand it and apply it to our lives, it's going to help us to stand firm in this world. You see, the, the deeper the tree's roots grow, the stronger that tree is. And so as, peop- as, as the people of God, we want to plant our roots firmly and deep in the soil of God's Word so that we can stand strong in whatever challenges may come our way. Whatever lies the enemy tries to whisper in her ear, whatever winds of the culture however the winds of culture may change, if we are firmly planted in the Word of God, then we'll be able to stand strong. Again, the psalmist here uses contrast to make his point. He says the wicked are like chaff. Right? Chaff is the it's the husk of the kernel of wheat, it's the dust that comes off of the, the wheat when it's harvested. And when the wind blows through, the chaff is blown away so that the kernel remains. What is valuable is left behind. You see, when you're not firmly planted in the Word of God, when you don't take the time to delight and meditate on it, it's like we are easily blown away by the winds of change, by hardship, by the lies of the enemy. We have nothing firm to stand on. Instead, we are called to be strong. But it's important to note too that we, we aren't meant to stand alone either. That God has given us brothers and sisters in Christ to help us to stand strong. Allie and I had an opportunity to go to California several years ago to celebrate our 10th anniversary and when we were there we learned about sequoia trees. Uh, sequoia trees are huge, they're massive. But the interesting thing about these trees is they have very shallow root systems. So You may wonder how does a how does a massive tree stand withstand the the wind and the storms of such a shallow root system? Well the way it works is the roots actually go out and they're interconnected with the other sequoia trees in the area. So though the roots aren't very deep, they reach out and they are interconnected with the other sequoia trees. And so individually they are not very strong, but together they're able to withstand just about anything. See God has placed us in a church family for a reason. We're not meant to be Lone Ranger Christians just doing everything on our own. He's given us brothers and sisters in Christ to help us to stand strong, to stand firm in the Word of God. And so rely on one another. Study the Word together. Pray for one another. Live life together, right? And as you do so, you will be able to stand even stronger together than you could possibly stand on your own. The psalm closes by reminding us that there are two paths that you can walk. Verses five and six. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, or sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. See, God's word makes it clear that there are two kingdoms, and that there are two paths. One leads to destruction. One leads away from God and into the, way, and into the ways of this world. And one leads to righteousness and holiness and salvation. And that way is revealed to us in his word. That way is Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That whoever that no one comes to the Father except through him. He is our way. He is the way to God. See, the more we study God's word, the more we realize that we can't do it on our own. That though it has the power to make us holy that it has the power to make us spiritually fruitful, that it has the power to make us stand firm, it is not something that we can do on our own. It is something that we completely depend on God to do for us. Jesus is described as as the forerunner, the trailblazer of our faith in Hebrews chapter 6. He is the one who has made a way for us, and our job is to follow him. Through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection, he has made a way for us. And that's what we celebrate when we take communion together. We remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. His word points us, all of his word, Old Testament and New points us to Jesus. It is the story of how God saved us from our sin by sending us Son Jesus to rescue us. Let's pray as we prepare our hearts to share in the Lord's Supper together. Father God, we thank you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is a light, for our feet and a lamp unto our path. And we thank you that you help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to hide it in our hearts. And I pray now that as we transition our time and our service to community, to help us to understand that it is your word that helps us to know your son, Jesus Christ. It's all about him. And it is your son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again for us, that we may be forgiven. And so we, we take this time now to ask you, Lord, to forgive us for the ways that we've fallen short. We've sinned and thought and word and deed. We've, we've done things that we shouldn't have done and we've left things undone we should have done, Lord. And for all of that, we come to you now and confess our sins to you. We thank you for your word, Lord, which says that, you, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to invite you forward to take communion, just as we've done in the past. There'll be uh, stations on either side of the table. You're welcome to come forward, receive the elements, and, and take them back with you. Uh, when the time comes at the, after everybody's been served, uh, we're going to take time to, to share in that Lord's Supper together by taking the bread and taking the cup. If you, need to, if you feel let, ready to take it before that time, you certainly can do that on your own and we'll end our service with a time, uh, time of worship together again. If you're unable to come forward for any reason, um, they'll get their attention as they go around the sanctuary. And so again, I invite you uh, to hear the words from 1 Corinthians 11. For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and having given thanks, he broke it. said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. All you who have received Jesus as your Lord and Messiah, we invite you to take this sacrament to your comfort.
6: You broke the bread and blessed the cup. You served a sacrifice of love. Holy, holy, holy. I want to see. Jesus the Lamb of God Oh what a Savior You took the oath. All-
4: Jesus, the Lamb
6: of God, oh, what a Savior, you took the
3: Is broken for you. Feed on him in your heart by faith with thanksgiving. And this is his blood which is shed for you, that our sins would be forgiven. Take and drink, knowing that he died for you. we thank you for this opportunity that we have now to share in the, your table. Thank you that you invite us, not because we deserve it, but because of your great love for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you shed your blood on the cross. You died and rose again so that our sins could be forgiven. We thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit to live in us, to guide us, to direct us as we seek to live for you in this world. We pray that you would enable us and empower us to do that now. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As you're able, I invite you to stand and sing our closing song with us.
6: You took my place Laid inside my tomb of sin
3: You were buried